G'day Legends Legendaries, welcome to another episode of Generation Get To It, a sugar hit of positivity and health for you to get the most out of yourself to inspire this generation and the next. Make sure you like and subscribe so you get the latest episodes, also share the word so get more people out there, change lives for the better and so we can also get on more guests as well, which we love. So for today's episode, we've got a truly legendary bloke, his name is Jared Hughes, he is a well, an Australian snowboarder. He competes in snowboarder cross. If, if you haven't seen before, you should definitely watch it because it's mental. Um, they go so fast and they hit so hard and they crash so hard as well. And it's it's amazing to, to see. Probably one of the be- probably the best event to watch at um at the Olympics in terms of the Winter Olympics. So Jared has actually won the silver medal at the 2018 Pyeongchang. Winter Olympics, which is super impressive. He's also the last person to win the gold medal at the X Games as well for snowboard across. He actually came to the scene in when he was 16 years old and he came 10th at the World Cup in Quebec and has gone on to win gold and a silver medal at the Junior World Champs in Lake Louise Cup and a few other events as well. He also competed at the 2014 Winter Olympics. Um, yeah, so he's done a lot. He's a really, really great person. The main thing I want to say about Jared is he's a genuinely lovely human who's always there to help out and to look after the people around him. You'll see in this chat that he's just someone that, although he works in an individual sport, trains in an individual sport, he's so grateful for the team that's around him and he puts a lot of his thank yous towards them. So if you want to find out how he's done that, how he's got to the place he is today, if you want some really, really good points surrounding empathy and also disagreeableness, which some people might find a bit confusing, but honestly, it's so worth knowing because it could be the difference between you getting what you want and what you don't. And in Jared's case, it ended up giving him a silver medal and he's the only Aussie ever to get a silver medal in snowboard across or to get a medal in snowboard across. So he's very successful. So without further ado, get into the episode, listen to Jared and take away some very important knowledge for your day. Let's get to it. G'day Legends, Legendaries. Welcome back to another episode of Generation Get To It. Today we've got Jared Hughes on the podcast, former silver medalist in the Olympics and winter gold uh, X Games gold medalist. It's an absolute honour to have Jared on today. He's been someone I've known through the start of my strength conditioning career and someone I've always aspired to kind of look at the qualities of an athlete. I think looking at Jared is, is a really good example of someone who has possibly different qualities than many people would see, particularly when you look at team sport versus individual sport. I think there's a lot of differences in the in the people that we come across. But Jared himself, I think, is someone who's very inspiring and is someone who we should all be looking up to when it comes to sport. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Jared. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on. Pretty excited. It's a pleasure. So like I said, so Jared and I actually met many years ago uh, when we were both training out of Sydney Uni. So Jared was well, has always been a snowboarder there, but for some reason just happened to tag along with all the rugby programs when we were getting involved. And um, I don't know, how did you find that, like end up tagging along with the rugby boys being a snowboarder? Uh, look, I was really lucky. I was working with Tommy Carter and he's insanely good. And I like to say he's a mad scientist with all of his programming and stuff. And I was very fortunate that I had had a long relationship with Sydney Uni and they were 
pretty open to the idea of me training with him and then with the program. And for me, it was this like amazing opportunity to work with such a great club and be in this amazing environment with people like yourself or, you know, some great athletes that were coming up and, you know, you think about the boys who are training there now, it's like, I think eight of them are Wallabies now. And it's just like, it's pretty cool to have been in that circle and club and have been out to have the opportunity to train there and uh, forever grateful, especially as you mentioned, being an individual athlete, a lot of it's pretty tailored to being individual and being in a team environment training was for me, massive, and I loved every second of it. Yeah, I found it really interesting, like you said, because there are so many talented people coming through at the same time, which could be a, a product of just being in the right environment at the right time, or it could be you know a bit of bit of luck with that. But I do believe that even having someone who's an individual sport and training with team sport and vice versa, I think you can you can really all benefit from it in that regard because there are so many different qualities which go to an athlete and maybe being in a situation where imagine in snowboarding, you train or train in small groups. You don't have a team of 40 blokes rocking up to the gym at the same time to do squats like the rugby do. So I imagine it's something a little bit different when it comes to snowboarding. Yeah, it's very different and finding the right blend between training as an individual and training as a team, you know, you still need individual approaches and, finding what's right and finding what's not. But if you have this good base and, you know, you go around and with being in the rugby program and doing rugby as I grow up, it's like being a Wallabies boy. And I, I always hate the fact that this comes from the All Blacks because it's like they always they had this video that came out and they talked about like putting rocks, you know, like they wanted to fill it with rocks and sand. The easiest way was to fill it with rocks and fill it with sand. To but And I always agreed with it to an extent but i also disagreed with it where it was like well you've got to put a layer of sand on the bottom before you start dropping rocks in otherwise you're going to break the glass and it was like okay so you got a bit of padding before you but what are, what are the big rocks anyway what's the big rocks that you're talking about i uh, just like the people who are around you how you train you know put it like getting it like when i started in the pro like with the rugby program and before that I had been training with Tom individually outside of it. And I didn't lift a barbell for a year and a half. Like I was outside pulling sleds, running hills. I I was nowhere near a barbell. I was doing Pilates left, right and center, just trying to build up a base of core and strength. And I, before that I'd come out of a program that was endorsed by you know, various organizations for within Australia. And it was like, you've got to squat a bucket load of weight. You've got to do all this stuff. And it was like, well, at the time I was a 16, 17 year old kid and all I was doing was getting hurt all the time. And then Tom pulls me out of it. And, you know, I just had a knee surgery and I was done with all the drama and I found Tom and we got along and had an idea and he just, added a lot of padding to my before he could add some rocks in. And then by the time he was, you know, let me train in with the rugby program before I was fit enough and strong enough. So I could just cop all that. 
Okay. So the, the so it's it's interesting, interesting because when you look at like elite athletes, we tend to think of doing the like I said, looking at the how strong they are and how how big they lift and that kind of stuff. But he really what stripped you back and gave you like I said that padding when it came to work on your core and everything like that. Were you, were you carrying some injuries at the time? At the time, uh, I just had my first ACL reconstruction, and Tom basically just did all the rehab and brought me back and got me extremely fit to the point where I have, I still to this day, I believe have the N Swiss winter sport record for VO2 max. <laughs> what was it? And it was, I think I had like a 77 or something. 77. That's enormous. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, like, yeah, go on. It was absurd. Like I had this stupid VO2 and, at the time, the head SNC was like, we were butting heads, and he called a bunch of people saying, "Oh, Jared's going to fail testing," and he hadn't been training. And all it was was I just wasn't training with him. I just went elsewhere, and little did he know that I'd been training three, four times a day, getting extremely fit and extremely strong. And he comes on, and I think he wanted to like give me a bit of a one-two punch and just start me off and give me a bit of humility and throws me on the runner, says, yeah, we're starting off with the VO2 max before we do anything. And I jumped on and then I, you know, did extremely well. And he was like, you've been training a lot, haven't you? And I was like, every damn day. <laughs> From that That's day forward, he left me alone. It was great. <laughs> So for any of you who don't know what the VO2 max is, it's basically how much oxygen you can use in your body um, when training at your limit. And 70, so I'd say the average person, if the average person jumped on a treadmill right now, right now and did VO2 max tests, they'd probably be out in between 40 and 50 if you're relatively fit. So 77 is absolutely absurd. But what do you, that's so, it's so interesting how you said that you kind of went against the grain and what they were trying to say and you went your own path. And for a lot of organisations, it's, like I said, it's really difficult to have someone who's not following an exact program. Like I worked in a lot of different sporting teams where sometimes you can be seen as the outlier if you're not doing exactly what's happening. But it seems like you really took your own path there and made a real decision to seek out some better advice or seek out something, someone who met you eye to eye. How do, how, do you, how do you think you, you got there in the first place to make those decisions? Uh, a lot of disagreements. Yeah. A lot yeah. of arguments. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. They didn't like that I was forging my own way and, you know, it's definitely not the ideal situation. You want to just have, you know, people fit into a program because it costs a lot less when they do, but... The problem is they spend all this time and they put everybody in these systems that they're so overloaded. Like you got these all these elite performance programs and all these, especially like strength and conditioning coaches, physios and all these programs, they're all overloaded with too many people because they need to save money. And, you know, at some point, some people lose benefit. It's not like everybody's getting the same program. Uh, that's like in level depth that some people are. And it's just, you know, if you've got somebody who's the best in the world, you're not going to 
you know, give the same attention to somebody who's the bottom, which just isn't the way it should be. It's just, unfortunately, that's where the resources need to go. And I, at the time, was kind of like approaching coming up to being really good. I was on World Cup and, you know, I left the program. Once I left the program, I had, so I had knee surgery, left the program and won a World Cup within 12 months. Wow. And it was like from from knee surgery to like winning a World Cup was like nine months. That's and insane. Like, so I was ranked number one in the world and had been like nine months post-op. But it was this because I had this amazing environment at Sydney Uni with Tom and I was training with some amazing people. And still to this day, some of those people are my best friends and I'm really fortunate like Lavinia Crystal who was training at Sydney Uni at the time and this an amazing Olympic winter skier killed it um I've been really fortunate that I was at her wedding last year (laughs) and it's just like it's been crazy to think that that just came from us training at the gym yeah that's it's so good it's so good um I do remember being there at the time and we would rock up and we'd do like an afternoon session and I'd jump in and we'd be doing like oh some like absurd amount of um rep, reps and on a ridiculous intensity on the cross train or the bike or something like that. And yeah, you'd have like line up, you'd have like you who's um you know top level snow, snowboarder versus a top level rugby player, and then throw someone else from like a netball program in and and then you had the rollers next to you who were doing some seriously huge stuff on the rowing machine and the environment itself was just spectacular. So it's really hard to be in a position where you didn't want to work hard when you're in that um, when you've got those people around you. Oh, 100%. Uh, and I don't even think it needs to go as far as like, like Rebecca from Ralph's Cafe. Yeah. She, she was Legends. a part of that as well. And like, she worked her ass off and because she was working her ass off, we were working our ass off and it, like, it didn't have anything to do with, you know, finding the exact wattage or finding the, it was like, here's a five minute effort, work your ass off. You're going to struggle. And it's like, everybody's just in the exact same amount of pain. It's just, everybody was working at their maximum effort and nobody gave a crap about what that wattage was or what the distance was. And I found it really um, difficult when I had to leave Tom and find a new way. And and they brought me back into like the institutes and stuff. And they're like, Oh, you've got to do all this wattage and do that. But the problem is they don't test often enough for those wattages. And like, if you can test often enough with all those wattages and stuff, you will get a better outcome. Like, but the problem is it's just not, plausible for them to have 50 athletes and do a you know ramp test every two weeks to make sure that you're working at the correct wattage (laughs) and so tom just had this really simplified manner of having us work really hard get really good results and have everybody get good results and a lot of people struggle with that what do you think was the underlying belief or values that were under that all because you mentioned how you kind of mentioned how there was the more science related side of it which is the fact that you can test voltage and you can try and hit voltage but then you're also mentioning how a lot of time was just about 
being there together, seeing each other, push hard, hurt. What do you think was something that underlies all that and, and why that was more success? You felt that like that was more successful than the other alternative? I think one thing is just sometimes hard work is just all it takes. Like you don't need this whole science and you know, it's great. It's like, but if you're just working your ass off and you just genuinely believe you are the you've nobody's worked harder than you. Like I remember early and I was like, nobody, nobody has worked as hard as me this last 12 months. It's just not possible. Like I have done everything and nobody had, it was just not going to happen. But I think a big element of it was just trust. Tom had a, I had a massive belief of trust in Tom and Tom had a massive belief in me that I was just constantly working and doing everything that I could. It was like, you know, down to nutrition, sleep, all this other stuff that I was doing when I was leaving him or, you know, sometimes he didn't know that on Sundays I wasn't taking a rest day and I was going to my local gym and doing a bicep pump day. (laughs) But it was fun. And I like, but because I had built up such an engine of just like, I could work so hard all the time and constantly I was training seven days a week and I, six of those days were three sessions a day, three or four sessions a day. And then so like a Sunday where it's like, oh, you're doing one session, like sick, this is a rest day. Yeah. And you've got to get like, that sponsorship money and all those bicycles. <laughs> I know. It's like you, you want to look good. Like you don't train all this much for like, like anybody that sits there and says they just train for results is lying. You got it. There's a, <laughs> there's a hundred percent of vain bit where it's like, I, I want to look good too. Like I'm not going to train this hard to not look good. Um, I do remember there was one time that's so funny. I do remember one time I was talking to um, our mate, uh, Gemma Griffin about, um, <laughs> about the same thing one time. And we sitting, I remember sitting on a bus in London and I was saying something along the lines of, no, I only train because it's good for my sport and I'm like, I've got to get better at running and that kind of stuff. And she sits and goes, shut the fuck up, Jordan. <laughs> you train because you want to look good in front of the mirror. And I went sat right down and like, you know what, that's exactly what happened. That's <laughs> exactly why I'm training hard. <laughs> it's, like, it's true. <laughs> I like. I feel like there's an element of some people will never want to just tell you the truth. They just want to like, give you the answer that you want and it's like i don't want the answer that's like i just trained half of my sport it's like oh yeah i want to look good naked like yeah. i remember sitting like it was after an olympic cycle and i had like a three like i had a three-month break and a dietitian rang me and she's like what what are your goals for the next three months and i was like i want to shred <laughs> it's like what do you got mean the, got the like, best to go to. <laughs> yeah i was like i just want to cut like i want to look good like I didn't just work this hard to like not do it. It's like help me cut. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's so interesting and like it's yeah because everyone's human when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like it's there's training to to be an athlete and get some good results. But at the end of the day, like I think we all have these like I said these qualities where we want to feel better about ourselves. And sometimes having that kind of external validation from looking good in the mirror is something else is, is too. Yeah, the worst part's when you like stand next to some of your mates that are, you know, professional rugby players and you're just like, I don't run nearly as much as you and I, I don't look half as like you are so much more cut. Like one of my <laughs> mates, Liam Coe, he just looks incredible all the time. 
and he's so cut and you're just like, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, what do you mean? Well, that, yeah, when I was working with soccer players, that's all they ever wanted to do. If it wasn't oh, biceps and, and abs, they didn't want to do it. <laughs> and, it, like, look, I've had six knee surgeries now, and it's, like, running, I reckon, is the best way to just, like, cut weight really quick and look, like, if you just want to look good, running's great. But I'm never, like, running is so far out of my wheelhouse of what I will ever be doing that I'm just like, yeah, no. Bike, like, I love biking. I love swimming. I love mountain biking. And so I'm like, yeah, running's not on the to-do page. <laughs> that's right um you mentioned six knee surgeries there. that's insane so what because i remember when i first met you, you had a couple knee surgeries kind of on the table but six knee surgeries all together how do you manage to get through all of them and still come out the other side thinking relatively positive good values good family that that makes a massive difference um honestly the big thing was just i had really good people around me like it's as simple as that i had really good people uh, i had really good surgeons i had really good physios still have like i was really fortunate i've been working with tim needham uh he used to be one of the swans team's physios for many years and only recently left the swans uh he did all my rehab for all of my knee surgeries and my ankle as well and I wouldn't have been in any of a good position without his help. Um, Tom Carter made a massive difference just with rehab and making sure I was doing everything. And it was just like having good, good parents, just belief in the process. Mm, And I had time. Like a lot of people just like rest around with a, before they need to get surgery and especially even some physios I've spoken to they're like happy they're like oh it's just another two weeks for you to wait to have surgery and I was like no I need to have the surgery this week they're like oh yeah but it's only two weeks and it's like it's not two weeks here it's two weeks there that I want it's like it's like sure two weeks here doesn't make a massive difference but two weeks earlier on snow makes a massive difference and it's like i would be finishing my rehab and get like two weeks on snow in Australia. So I could get some of my return to snow stuff done. But it was just like, if I didn't do it, force myself to have it earlier and then it just wasn't happening. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, yeah, everything you mentioned so far has been mostly that you've, you've been around good people. So even when we were talking about your training environment and, like I said, being around other with all your rehab and everything like that, like you keep referring to good people, which, like I said, for someone who's an individual sport, you would think that it would be very singularly focused and that you're the only one who's going to be winning the medal. So shouldn't I be the only one that cares about this? Yeah, I like I, I know how people sometimes think that about an individual sport but it takes a village like doesn't matter how you do it my dad's been my program manager through my entire career like he's the one who set where we're going what we're doing and there's program managers in the program they're just not as good as him it's really simple and i mean i love him to death we have a very open relationship about talking about things and we fight all the time but we just get over it and move on 
I think having a family relationship makes it easier. Um, but even just being on snow, especially in winter sport, we're committed to being overseas for six months. You know, we leave November, we come back end of March. And it's just you're committed to being overseas and you need to have quality people around you. And if you're surrounded by people who you really dislike and really don't want to be around, you just go into this really negative mindset and that's net, like it's not good for anybody. And it's not it, to think that you're going to be performing at it when you're just stuck in a negative mind space is absurd. And it's like I was training with this team called Rain Snowboarding and I was really fortunate in the lead up to Pyeongchang to have had two years with them. Those two years were my most successful two years. In terms of program and what was provided with that, it was the least provided program I'd ever been a part of. You know, we had three phenomenal coaches, like Rob Fagan is an ex-World Cup legend. Ross Dunlop was an amazing person, great coach and a great just mental person to be around. Like he just had good energy and you could always talk to him. And then we had John Shelley, who was the leader of the whole squad, and he was just very knowledgeable, knew exact, and provided a different area of input where he came from a different side of the sport, which is GS and Slalom. But then we talk about the people who were on that program. It wasn't like at the time those guys that I was training with were the best riders in the world. They were just trying to make it to the national team or their national team wasn't big enough, so they had to have a private option. But for me, I had quality human beings that wanted to be there, that wanted to work, and we all worked our asses off. And when I was there, that was, for me, the most successful period of my career so far. Interesting. That's really, really cool. So you mentioned before about what a negative mindset can do, but what, when you said you're stuck in a position where you're feeling that things are quite negative, what, how does that translate to your, your competition and also your, how would you say, like daily well-being? Massively. I, like, I don't think you need, I don't think you need to be away for those things to affect you. I think just being away and not having those outlets can magnify it and it magnifies it massively. And being from Australia doing snowboarding, you're in this really unique position where you're overseas and you don't have those outlet valves of, you know, you can go out with your mates and just catch up. It's, you don't have those options. It's like your mates are a day's flight away. Good luck. Like you, you get a phone call with them, and that's as good as it gets. But you've just got to take advantage of those things. But I think a positive mindset in anything is massive. And if you can't get into that, you're probably better off getting out of that situation, unless you can make make it of it. And you can deal with it within those. And sometimes it might be the small things where it's like one person might be your saving grace in a negative space. And I've 100% been in those situations. Like when you talk about winning X Games, I was in a horrible place with just the people I was surrounded by. I was 
hating it. I was like, at the end of that season, I was ready to just be done. Like, I was like, oh, I don't need this anymore. I'm surrounded by horrible human beings in where I'm snowboarding. And I went in and threw my weight around with the program. It was like, I can't operate in this. I'm either going to go fund this by myself or you can fund it for me or I'm done. And they're like, well, we'll fund it for you because you know, I was winning a lot of things. So they had no option. But I was very fortunate that they did step up and do that because they recognized that they couldn't provide it within that program. What do you think was missing in a program like that? And what did you get out of the one that you chose to go with? Positivity. Like, I want to say like a little bit of individualism, but I think it was just, it was a, yeah, it was just not a massive team program and that didn't work for me. And I, I can be very abrasive as well. Like I'm happy to speak up when I don't things are right for myself or as an overarching sport. I'm happy to speak up about it. I'm not afraid of conflict and bringing that up, but I just think the easiest way to get from where something's wrong to fixing it as even if I'm not right, I'm happy to be wrong. But the easiest way to get through it is to talk about it. And if somebody's not willing to talk about it or even do it, you're never going to solve any issues. You just beat around the bush and get nothing done. Mm. A thousand spoons or one knife. Um, yeah. But does this, does speaking up and actually challenging the situation that you're in, does that get you in trouble at all? Massively. Massively. Like people don't like it. It, it rocks the boat. But at the end of the day, I'm sitting here as the only Olympic medalist in a border cross program that's been operating in every Olympic cycle. There's five Olympics and they've had number one athletes of the world and they've failed at every opportunity. The pro, like, I'm like, I've argued for what I believe is right for me to succeed and it's worked. And just because that rocks a few boats or leaves a few like ruffles a few feathers it's not wrong it's just they don't like it and there's things i don't like that they do that i just have to cop it's just it is what it is but at least i can sit there and at the end of the day say i said my piece and hopefully leave it in a better situation than what i came into it and sometimes the only thing i've like been able to take out of some things is just these people haven't had to go through as much that I've had to go through. And the reason they don't have to do that is because I went through it. And it's like, you know, the whole stuff with Peter Bowl failing a drug, like he never actually failed a drug test, which the fact it went through that, like I had a drug test to tell me that, oh, you know, it's great that he's gone through it now because now it's going to solve the issue. And I'm like, no, it's horrible. Like he should never have had to have gone through that. Like there's so many screw ups at so many points. And the fact that you're saying, well, now it's not going to be an issue because he's been through it. It's like, he just had a world championship and he had a horrible run in and it's not his fault. Like we're in a really short lived sport and he's just missed an entire world championships effectively 
and it's Wada's fault. Hmm. Like, you could assume he's going to win that event, and they've cost him all of that. Yeah. Or whether or not it, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of who spilled the tea or who did what in that scenario, but the, like the leaking of the results and all that, they're, they're horrible. Yeah, it's way more stress than someone needs to go through. And I'm sure, like you said, you've, you've probably had your fair share of it as well when it comes to dealing with uh, issues which should definitely be kept a lot quieter than they should be. And also the other things of, well, I don't think people see how much stress, stress it can cause to an athlete. Like it is a massive thing to go through when someone accuses you of failing a drug test, knowing full well that, oh, I don't know, there must be like 99% of people get guilty when they challenge a drug test because they're pretty stringent on how, or not letting anyone have any kind of length when it comes to the to, to challenging it. So it must be pretty tough. But I think from what your side is, what you said before about disagreeing with the program, and we actually spoke a little bit about this briefly before we started, but I believe that dis- being disagreeable is actually such an important trait in someone being able to not just agree to what's being said and what's being done but having your own say if you don't see it's fit for what you're doing so i definitely see it a lot with young kids coming through when i'm coaching and where they disagree a lot and i'm like appraising i'm like you know what? that's a great thought let's like talk through a bit more and see why you don't like it and see if we can come to a different conclusion or the conclusion that suits us both because I don't like the fact that a lot of people can be pushed out of the system because they don't agree and don't wholeheartedly just jump straight into this program without looking at it more in depth and actually seeing how it's going to impact them in a positive manner. And so I think that, like I said, I think it's really, really good to see how you have gone through and successfully argued and won medals and have been the most successful athlete when it comes to snowball crossing this country. So I think it's really important to see that. And look, I've been right and I've been wrong. I think part of being able to speak your mind is sometimes you're going to be wrong, but you've got to be willing to take what comes with being right and what comes with being wrong. And, you know, I've worked in the program and I had, they made me come back into the program after one of my, um, me surgeries and said I had to work with one of the SNCs and I worked with them for you know a couple months and I was just doing rehab and I didn't agree with some of the stuff that was being pro and I just approached them trying to talk about it and I found out a week later that it was like I'd been told I'm just arguing about the program and doing I was like cool sweet like brush my hands I'm like yeah don't need to work with them ever again like, this is great. I'm fine. Like, I didn't want to be there. Like, I put in what, exactly what they wanted. And it's like, if she just wants to say, you're a problem child, like, I, I don't need the problem. Like, I'm not here for it. I don't believe in you. You don't believe in me. If we can't have a discussion about the program and you just think it's me being problematic, it's not worth any of our time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's completely, that's, that's, that's completely reasonable. And I believe that's, um, yeah, 
something which is probably not dealt with. Uh, that usually never doesn't happen in these programs. I think most people just end up having to cop it and just get along with the person that's giving out the orders. So I think it's good to see, as an example, someone who's left the program and sought out a different mentor, a different um, practitioner to find the results that you're looking for. Um, so what we, like looking at, go on. I like, I sometimes the answer isn't you're always getting a better, like my option was I went and trained at a CrossFit gym. Like I just did the programming that the CrossFit gym did. I did nothing else besides that. But my effort level never changed. It was like, I'm giving it everything I got every session. I'm following a program. I'm doing everything. And I got great results from it. It's, you know, it wasn't that I'm arguing about a program. I came in and did it. The only thing I would ever change was all of a sudden there's a run and it's like, oh, cool. How many calories or how many meters you want me to do on the bike? Sick. Sometimes it's not always like, oh my God, this is such a better opportunity. And just like, I have to chase this. It was just like, well, I'm in a situation I don't want to be in and I found a way out of it. CrossFit. Of all the answers, CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, and look, there's things in CrossFit I really don't like doing, like all the really technical Olympic lifting for speed. I don't love doing that. And there's certain movements that I found that my body just, it breaks down doing. So I just avoid them. I'm just like, you know, I don't need to do that. And as I've gotten older, I've found the ability to be like, nah, that's just not right for me. Let's just change it up you know, deadlifting. I don't deadlift. Like I pull my back out when I deadlift. So it's like anytime someone's like, oh, I'll just do a deadlift. I'm like anything over 90 kilos and I'm just putting myself at risk of injury. It's like I would rather train for another two weeks than have two weeks of crappy training because I decided to let my ego get in front of what my body could actually do. And then, you know, Devil presses, same thing. Pop my back out left, right, and center doing them, so I just don't do them. <laughs> but the ability uh, to know when not to and when to is a massive skill. Do you think that's a lot of that came down to just the experience from trying different programs and and working with different, um, I guess, pushing yourself in different ways as you've gone along? Yeah, hundred percent. I think like it comes from everything. You've got to. You can't just assume something's wrong. You've got to give it a go. You know, got to try everything before you can say it's it doesn't work. But sometimes you'll get people in those positions, and you'll get somebody that'll come up and be happy to say, "Oh, look, this is something's wrong, or this doesn't feel right." And the simple answer is, "You must be doing it wrong." And it's like, why can't they just, like, look, sometimes there's technique issues, there's a million different issues, but sometimes it's really simple as mechanically you just aren't doing that or maybe you've, you know, you need to go see a chiropractor because you've got some rib popped out or your left leg's not as long as your right and you just need your hip pulled out or something or, you know, you've got a muscle that's not working here so you're compensating with this and doing that so you're in pain let's fix that issue rather than just saying, Oh yeah, you're just not doing it right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So 
it's yeah it's it's really great to see how far you've kind of come along with all your programs and everything like that and and like I said it's it seems like sometimes just like a different opinion can go really go a long way just seeing it from a different perspective um but i wanted to see what are you up to now at the moment like are you still riding your snowboarding what's actually happening with you in your life I just had a year off after the Olympics. I fully committed to uh, not competing last year, which was a big risk um, just with sponsorship and commitments to going to World Cup and doing everything. Um, but for me, I needed that break mentally and physically. I was injured beyond belief and couldn't stand up for long periods of time and it was pretty painful. I had a bad head knock from a concussion and things just went right. And people don't have, sometimes just don't have the answers. And the only thing you can do is find somebody that does. And unfortunately that takes a lot of time and effort and money and all these things that aren't fun, but I've really been enjoying my time off. I'm still snowboarding. I was down at Threadbow a lot this year. I was loving every second of it. It's great fun. The snow hasn't been amazing, but, Australia is really good about making the most of it. And the season before was amazing. Like I still have a photo from the start of the season. That's my favorite photo I've ever seen in the snow at Australia for me. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to live off that photo for the rest of my life. But I've just been trying to find a bit more inner peace and a lot of training. I took I took a long time off training. Um, I had a full 12 months off it. And then I started training with a new trainer earlier this year. And I'm in a great headspace and physical, like physically I'm the strongest I've ever been and I'm working away and continue to work. Amazing. Big risk, but it's really nice to see that you're physically and mentally coming a long way since that because yeah it sounded like you were absolutely in it when you couldn't stand up after two hours of working that's that's not good <laughs> that's not good for your longevity um no yeah. and that's it like the thing is if you don't take care of it earlier like i'm 28 it like this is when i'm t i was 27 and i couldn't stand up for two hours at a time can you imagine that if i did nothing at 40 like be on the disability pension. Yeah. Be getting your NDIS <laughs> at some point. He's just broken some records in uh in the Olympics and he's straight into yeah. it. That's not a big uh, big fall, that's for sure. Well that's it. And I don't like I don't want that. I wanna be able to run around till I'm, you know, eighty. I wanna be playing with my kids and doing all that. When I like grandkids, I wanna be able to do that. And if I, you know, it's a lot easier to fix it when you're younger and, you know, when you first got an injury, you know, it took, I always said to my physios and whoever I was seeing, I was like, it took me four years to get this bad. It's not going to happen. Like, it's not going to disappear overnight. Like, it's it's going to almost take double as long to get as good as it was before it was that bad. So it's like, it just mm -hmm. takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's someone who is, I guess, still relatively young. It's pretty uh, mature, I think, to take an approach like that. We actually sit back and actually think about the long, long term, 
because like I said, you know, you're still in your late 20s. To be thinking about what you want to be doing at 80 is very good foresight. I think like really taking the time to think about what values you hold close to you in life. And I think a lot of people probably need to do more of that as well. But like, I think it, sorry, I think it just comes back to having good people around you really. You know, that doesn't always have to be the most knowledgeable people or just sometimes just somebody that will listen and talk to you about it. And I'm very fortunate that I had, when I started working with this new S&C, he's extremely talented and worked with some of the best athletes in the world from NBA to AFL, like to rugby union. He's done a lot and I've been really lucky, but I had a really frank discussion with him when I started working with him that was, the first three months of this is going to suck. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm not fit. I'm not strong. Uh, Like my body's falling apart. We're going to have to put in some grunt work here. Like I've got no core. I've like got no stability. Like good luck. Like this is going to suck for all of us. But if we can get through the first three months of this sucking, we'll see an exponential growth. And that was it. Like we were both just willing to put in that effort and, you know, when I started with him, I couldn't put a hundred kilos on my back to squat without getting hurt. Like I quite literally popped a rib out squatting a hundred <laughs> kilos. Like, That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and like it's there's not a lot of weight for like that that's been my warm-up weight in the past. For like that used to be my warm-up weight for cleans. Like and I couldn't even squat it at this point. And now I'm at the point where I'm so strong, I'm so fit, and it's like, but it's because I put in the hard work early on. And so did he, to be fair. Uh, well, give, give him a shout out. What's his name? Alex Moore. He's very talented and he, he works for the uh, it's Illawarra Hawks now, the basketball, the NBL. Oh, legend. Great team. Great team. My local. Um, awesome. He, Tell you what, mate. He's I very good. Take him long to the Dragons at some point. We do need a bit of a boost for now. <laughs> oh, we need all the help we can get. I was, uh, <laughs> that was not the season to remember. No. It's been a, it's been a rough couple of years since, I think, 2010. <laughs> since we won. Oh, we're not the Tigers. We're not the Tigers. We're not the Tigers. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I was for a while there. I was hoping we just wouldn't get the wooden spoon, and that was that was the dream. Yes, it's a real low bar. It's a real low bar. That's all right. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but one th- one question I always ask everyone when we're finishing up is, what was something that stuck out to you personally when you were growing up that you would love to pass on to your kids, nieces, nephews, or the future generation? Um. Probably the simplest piece of advice that I would pass on is the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Don't be afraid to speak up for, don't be afraid to speak up for what you think. Cause you, it's easier to get like, if you never ask, you never got like, you're never going to get. Like that is what was that? It's like one of the best analogies I've heard. <laughs> You miss a hundred percent of the shots you never t- like, never take. If you don't speak up for what you think, you're never going to get it. You're never going to have a shot at. It. But at least if you had a shot and somebody said no, or 
even if somebody said no and you kept going for it, you you went for it. And I think that's something to buy in for. It's like I really buy into high performance and everybody around who's working in high performance has to work in high performance and to expect the bare minimum isn't the standard we're setting here. So if you're delivering the substandard and I'm happy to say it to you, like that's because I'm I'm asking of a higher work ethic of myself. And I'm I'm just shocked that you're not doing it of yourself. So yeah. don't be afraid to ask what you think or like say what you think. Sometimes you've got to hold your tongue sometimes, but as I said, squeaky wheel gets the oil. If you don't ask, you don't get. I think that's a real testament to what you mentioned the whole podcast about, you know, challenging the status quo and, and doing things which, are going to help move the needle, not just for you, but for everyone else that come after you as well. So I think it's, uh, I think that pretty much sums it all up, which is, which is great. So um, please, Jared, give us a shout out with all your socials and how people can reach you and actually get in touch. Uh, it's just at Jared Hughes on everything. I think <laughs> I try not to spend too much. To- My socials are pretty weak to be fair. I don't spend too much time on them. It's, it's uh something I use is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> uh, well, at least it doesn't use you. That's the other side. <laughs> oh, no, it definitely does. I get stuck in the doom scrolls, but at Jared Hughes, that's that's all me. Yeah, I'll link it all in the in the show notes anyway. But um, Jared, mind-blowing. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, it's really good to see someone like you come on and speak different to what you know many different athletes along the way will speak so it's getting a different perspective and seeing after you come back from you know six knee surgeries have gone through all these programs and made some really critical decisions in your life to actually you know win medals and do some amazing things hats off well thank you very much and thanks for the chat and it's great to see you doing some amazing things i've kept track of it so it's cool to be a part of something Oh, mate, it's a pleasure. And do you know what? It really was a pleasure. So that was the episode with Jared Hughes. I'm sure you've learned a lot from that. I certainly did. A lot of different important points that don't often get raised when it comes to speaking publicly. For example, when you say you want to make a big change in the world and you argue against someone who is running the, the ship at a particular organization... People don't normally talk about that openly, but as you can see from Jared's experience, it actually gave him the benefit of going to someone he could choose and finding someone better in, in the role that he wanted and actually created the opportunity for him to win the, the, the silver medal in the Olympics and then go on to become just a better human in general. I've known Jared for a while now and he's truly a great human. So if you have any thoughts on that, love to hear them. The main thing I got away from it was about just being disagreeable and showing empathy at the same time. So being empathetic in the person, in the approach and then just making sure that you're able to say your piece and get what you want as well because at the end of the day, we've all got to look after ourselves and if we look after ourselves, we can look after everybody else as well. So it all comes together. Thanks for tuning in today. Make sure you like, subscribe, get those subscriptions up there and make sure you give us a five-star review, please. I really appreciate it and uh, you know what, love you all. Until next time.